Hello. This is the recording of the fourth Twitter Spaces that I did with my friend V, this one back in March. I'm realising what a bollock they are to transcribe. It's the exact opposite of my normal pod episodes, which take an age to prepare, but actually issuing them is very quick and easy. These spaces take little or no time to record, but all the admin is post-production. You'd have thought having six weeks between recording and turning into a podcast episode would give me ample time to do everything I need to do. And of course, you'd be very misunderestimating the power of ADHD. Speaking of which, this session is on mental health while travelling, covering topics such as do ADHD and dyspraxia affect how I travel? Why do I often feel mentally low when I'm in places? And what can I do to get myself out of those feelings? We also touch on why it helps to be arrow ace and how sometimes just staring out of a window is all I need to do to calm myself. Usual disclaimer, be aware this conversation took place effectively over the phone, so the audio quality won't be as great as my normal podcast episodes. Indeed, there were some technical issues that occurred at the time of recording. Most of these have been edited out, but it is noticeable the quality of some parts of the recording is a little lower than is even usual for the spaces. Otherwise, I hope you enjoy it. Hello, thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure, a fortnightly series looking at unfamiliar places around the world and aspects of travelling you may never have thought of. I'm your host, the Barefoot Backpacker, a middle-aged Brit with a passion for offbeat travel, history, culture and the whys behind travel itself. So join with me as we venture Beyond the Brochure. I will start, as usual, by saying who we are. Um, for new people listening, Victoria Pearson, you can call me V, and I'm just here so that it doesn't sound like Barefoot Backpacker is just speaking to themselves. Um, Barefoot Backpacker is a travel and lifestyle blogger slash podcaster who backpacks beyond the brochure with very little luggage and rarely any shoes. They are RTW Barefoot on Twitter and Pinterest and Barefoot underscore Backpacker on Instagram. Um, you can lifestyle well i didn't know how else to say that you also blog about mental health neurodiversity all that sort of stuff along with travel and gender exploration and pride flags and so lifestyle just seems to cover that (laughs) that's fair and if you do want to follow barefoot backpackers adventures um on all of those topics that you can find stuff on their website, which is barefoot-backpacker.com. And you can also find the Travel Tales podcast there. In the past, Barefoot Backpacker has spoken about having dyspraxia, ADHD, social anxiety, all that sort of thing. So following on from the last time space on travel and health, we're going to talk today about travel and mental health. Yeah. So how are you doing today? <laughs> I'm fine. I, I, I woke up late because I overslept. Um, um, yeah, I'm I've got I've got people coming to inspect my flat at two o'clock, which is nice. Um, so I was just running around doing that you know, making sure this morning. Then <laughs> yeah, I was, basically doing, I was basically just cleaning. It's very it's very easy to clean though because it's not very big. Yeah. So um, and it's just you there as well, isn't it at the moment? So yes, you've not got lots of people undoing your stuff as you do it. No, the only person undoing my stuff is me, which happens on a regular basis. <laughs> ADHD. Um, <laughs> So um, in our last mm. space, when we were talking about um, travel and health in general, um, we spoke a little bit about first aid and injuries. Um, does your dyspraxia lead to a lot of those sorts of things? And does that affect your mental health when you're traveling at all? Should we, first of all, talk, just say what dyspraxia is, just for in case people don't know? Oh, that's a good idea, actually. Yeah. So um, do you want to give a brief definition? Yes, yeah. I mean, essentially, dyspraxia is kind of that feeling where you don't you don't really understand space. It's it's kind of you know how sort of like things like dyslexia is where you don't recognize and can't um, process letters particularly well in shapes. And dyscalculia 
is where you do the same with numbers. Yeah. Dyspraxia is kind of where you do that with, with three-dimensional space. I have difficulty working out where things are. and So that affects things like balance and stuff. Yes, yes, it affects things like balance. It affects things like um, jigsaw puzzles. You know, washing, jigsaw puzzles are are, are immense. Um, washing up, even you know, sort of washing a plate that I will not realise the tap is where it is, so I will end up crashing a piece of crockery against the tap. That sort of thing, and it it comes out in things like injuries as well. So the number of times I've you know, scraped there, uh, cut my finger on knives, and just because I didn't realise they were there and. The number of times my friends are impressed that I've not been run over yet because I, <laughs> I seem to have no concept of where cars are. It's why I don't drive. I, I can't drive and I can't ride a bike because um, I just don't have the, the mental capability to work out where things are and what I should be doing. Um, I have noticed when we've walked together before, actually, that you don't seem to look when you cross the road. And sometimes you seem to be on a collision course with other people and just nudge you out of the way. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I don't, I don't notice them. I mean, it, it's related to ADHD because my brain is elsewhere uh, and yeah. they're, they're very commonly found together. But yeah, my brain is elsewhere and I don't realise where things are in the first place. So uh, it's it's not good. Um, <laughs> but yes. That, that lack of spatial awareness must lead to a lot of minor embarrassments as well as injuries, like knocking things. I was reading one of your blog posts before and you mentioned getting onto a boat and knocking over this lady's entire I think you said it was plastic bottles that she was transporting I mean that happens quite a lot especially if I've got a backpack because I don't I can't visualize how big the backpack is so mm. I'll swing around and hey presto three people fall over it's it's completely accidental it's just because I cannot process where they are and even if I look it's like this is one of the reasons why I don't drive I will happily look you know sort of mirror signal maneuver I can look in the rear view mirror it doesn't make any difference yeah, you um, might not register what you've seen there or yeah. how far away it is yeah. and things. How, how far away, how fast it's going is um, is part of it. It's like, okay, there's a car there, but I don't know. So either I go, okay, so there's a car there, I'm just going to wait for it to pass, and then three minutes pass. Or there's a car there, I'm sure I've got that space. Oh, my God! <laughs> that must make it difficult when you're travelling to places with a lot of, motorbikes and mopeds which is something that you do a lot i trust other people <laughs> normally i'm on the back of the moped uh the only danger i've got is falling off it um but everything else is for i just leave them to it it's just like i wouldn't do this i am not going to be driving a moped um <laughs> one of my close friends hello laura um we were in philippines and we had the option of renting a motor scooter and she took one look at me and said, no, we're going to get a taxi. <laughs> I don't blame her. <laughs> I don't blame her either. Uh, dear. Anyway, um, so the question you asked was, does dyspraxia affect my mental health? Um, yes. Yeah. I don't, think, I don't think it affects that as much as you'd think, um, because obviously, you know, it's the little things that, that affect me, but it's not a mental health thing. So it's like, you know, I'll forget the camping stoves are hot when you've just turned it off. So, you know, I'll pick it up to pack it away in my bag. And then the blister lasts for a week. Um, and as I say, when I've been, you know, chopping things, chopping vegetables with, you know, new, very sharp knives in someone else's kitchen. And uh, that that bleed took seven hours to, to stop. Um, I, I bang my head on trees and stuff like that. Ceiling lights in shops. Um and obviously, we've got the whole situation of uh, my little toes are impressed. I still have little toes because of the number of times I bang them against shopping trolleys and rocks and things that like the that. Worst pain. Hmm? I said, that's the worst pain. Little toes stubbing is the worst pain. Yes, yes. My biggest issue with mental health and dyspraxia is more kind of because I'm thinking about it all the time. My brain, it's, it's kind of like... It's taking up a lot of the runtime of my brain. So, Ooh. for example, you know, on my hike across Great Britain, we walked up the West Highland Way in Scotland. Now, part of this runs along uh, Loch Lomond. It's through the trees. It, the path's kind of undulating up and down, you know, sort of two steps up, two steps down. And when we hiked, it was a bit damp. And the whole thing affected me quite a lot. I couldn't get into a rhythm because it was always up and down, up and down. And because it was damp, 
um, I was just always consciously aware of, you know, I could just slip on a stone or a rock or I could just miss my footing entirely. And at the time I was on that particular hike, I was wearing sandals that had quite minimalist sandals that had a foot strap. And because it was damp, my foot was sliding inside the sandal. And I was always conscious that because it's happened before that my foot would just the force of my slide would just break the strap. Mm. Um, Effectively, I was just concentrating so hard on, you know, not having an injury, not breaking my sandal that I couldn't really enjoy that section of the hike. Slight problem is that hike is about 16 miles. (laughs) So that must be quite exhausting as well when you're using up extra cognitive energy to concentrate on not falling over, not breaking your sandals, all that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's very... There's two things. It, it 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 tires me out mentally, and therefore it tires me out physically. But it also means that I'm not in. I can't enjoy things as much as I should do. Um, it's like yeah. hiking. I I really like hiking, but I'm consciously aware that I don't like it as much as I should do because of um, going down hills, especially either muddy, steep, grassy hills or hills with a lot of scree on them. You know, those really small mm-hmm. stones. And I've always had this problem. It's it's connected again. It, there's a dyspraxia thing, but it's also a fear of heights. I don't like falling. And I know that if I'm going quite fast down a hill, because I walk quite quickly, then I'm more likely to fall. I, I yeah. kind of wish going down a hill was as easy as going down on a person, really. That'd be quite cool. It is 12 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> um, you talked a little bit about um, what dyspraxia is there. Um, I'm going to ask you some questions about ADHD and executive dysfunction. So um, for the benefit of people listening who might not know, can you explain to us what executive dysfunction actually is? Oh, um, yes, it's kind of. It's that feeling when you know you need to do things, but you mentally can't. So, for example, I mean, it's similar to the feeling like, I know I don't want to get out of bed because I've got stuff to do, but it's it's a lot more, it's it's more than that. It's, I, it, it, work, it, it doesn't matter whether it's something that's going to be pleasurable or something that's going to be horrible. It's like, you know, I'm going to meet with friends tonight and it's going to be really fun and I haven't met them for five years or I need to tidy my house and mm. I'll be in bed and I'll go, I can't get up. I do not have the spoons to even move my blankets. And mm. I'll just sort of lie there or sit there for a while. And I try not to track how long because that's slightly, that adds to it. Because if I know I'm, I'm there for two hours, I just go, oh my God, I've been here for two hours and I can't, I, I. It, it, it's, it's, it's indecision. A lot of it is indecision. A lot of it is, is lack of commitment. A lot of it is just an inability to make a decision. It's an inability to make a choice. It's an inability to, to do something. Um, mm-hmm. Even and if I it's something suppose, you need to do. I suppose that a lot of people with ADHD then internalize that executive dysfunction as guilt feeling like you're lazy, that sort of thing, when that's not what it is. So it must yeah. have a, an overall effect on your mental health. Well, that's the thing, because people aren't in my position, so they assume that I'm just being lazy or they just assume that I'm just making excuses. But mm. it's not. It's it's literally that my brain does not. It's The way I've heard someone describe it, it's like, you know you've got a hob, a, a gas or electric hob, and you know that it's hot. And you yeah. cannot touch that hob because your brain knows that it's hot and it will hurt. Yeah. Right. That's something that, you know, everyone can relate to, I think. Um, yeah. Executive dysfunction is a bit like that about everything. OK. So our brain does not let us do the thing because our brain thinks that the thing will hurt us or the thing will be unpleasant, regardless of what the thing is. So that must have quite an effect on how you travel, um, not just the planning stage, although I'd imagine that it does have an effect on that, but also <laughs> just suffering sudden attacks of executive dysfunction while you're on the road. Yes. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's a little it, it's a weird combination what happens to me when I travel, because um, I mean, obviously, I don't make. I don't plan that much in advance. So everything I do is very much last minute. So it helps if I'm feeling off kilter that I'm not 
you know, under normal circumstances, it, it's not so much of a problem, but we'll come back to that later. Um, there's, there's an issue with the way I travel. It's not to do with planning, but to do with how much of that I do. And part of the issue is sometimes I just can't face doing it. So I, I stay in bed or stay somewhere because I don't want to face the, the, the world, essentially. Some of it, for me, when I'm traveling, a lot of it is actually social anxiety. So, you know, there'll be times when I'll made a note um, of a place that I want to go. I'll be quite keen on going to it until the very moment where I have to make the decision to get out and do it. And then I don't. Man, that's because, you know, the sheer act of, um, you know, for example, asking people how to get to the right bus station or asking around for a driver to take me to places. I, I can't bring myself to do that because of social anxiety. And when I'm lying mm -hmm. in bed, I know that's what's going to happen. So my brain stops me from even starting the process. Um, yeah. and it, it, you know, it just becomes easier to, to just stay where I am, stay in the town, do mentally less stressful stuff. And I know, and everyone knows, and one of the things that people tell me, and it's really annoying, is that, you know, it's only going to be like 10 seconds. It's only going to be 10 seconds of, of, of pain. Then it'll be it'll be great for the rest of the day. And I'm going, yeah, I know, I know. It's 10 seconds. It's like... It doesn't make any difference to how that feels. Yeah. It, it's like the feeling that people get when, you know, they go to the dentist for the first time for many years. Um, or, you know, if they ask someone out on a date or, you know... The, the preparation for coming out to your parents to say that you're gay. It's, it's, it's something that will definitely be better off having been done, but the process of starting the process to do it, that's more than my brain can comprehend. So I just don't. Like cleaning the bathroom. The next question that I was going to ask you was doing nothing when you're on a trip is probably, especially on a very long trip, um, quite essential to you to um, maintain your mental health. How do you know when that is turning into executive dysfunction rather than just the rest that you need? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Is that, is that one that you struggle with? Well, the trouble that I have is that when I travel, how do I... Most of my travels are very, very um, full. So I'm not one of those people that can spend, you know, five days on a beach doing nothing. I have to be doing something all the time. And traditionally, when I've been traveling before I, well, it, when I was well, now and when I had my old day job, uh, I only generally had like sort of two, two weeks, maximum of three weeks that I could travel. So if I was going to somewhere new, I would need to maximize how much I do there, because obviously I'm not going to necessarily go there again for a while. So in my head, I want to be doing everything. But then when I get there, everything like social anxiety kicks in and I'm going, but I can't do that. And then I spend, you know, years afterwards going through my mind going, I'm such a wuss. I should have done that. Why didn't I do that? Because, mm -hmm. you know, hindsight forgets that sort of thing. Um, in my head, you know, everything is simple. When I'm looking back, it's like, you know, this is a really, I, everyone says this is a really, really easy thing to do. Why can't you just do it? Why can't you just, you know, get out of bed, get off your seat and just do it? And I'm going, I can't do that. Uh, real life is not like it's in my head. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, the issue, I, I, I can't rest. So I always feel like I've wasted an opportunity if I do, like I've wasted my trip there because, you know, I, I didn't do everything that I could have done. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it means that in my head, I, I, I have this, feeling that rest is bad yeah and that can't be very good for you mental health really yeah, absolutely it's, it's a weird one it, it's kind of like i don't plan ahead very much so i don't think of things in longer than about two minutes time you know sort of i don't so future me in two days time i don't really care about in that sense it's like i'll be doing something else i will be somewhere else um but what it means is that because, because all of my days are full, doing it for like two weeks, three weeks, it's very much, uh, if I'm not careful, it will overwhelm me. But I don't think of that at the time. That's why I've looked at all the things I can do in a place. And I'm going, right, I can spend two days there. I can spend three days there. 
it'll be fine. Um, mm. um, I, I have actually said on many occasions that going back to work after a holiday, going back to a day job, that feels like having a rest after my holiday. Um, yeah. Holidays shouldn't be like that, but that, that's, that's kind of how they are. Um, mm. I have noticed, by the way, that on my longer trips, on my you know trips that last a couple of months, I it's not a regular thing, but I seem to crash about every three weeks. So about every twenty so maybe days, that is your limit of time yeah. that you can go pushing yourself to do all of the things. Yes, yes, it's very much uh, um, after about twenty days, then I can feel my mood going for whatever reason. I'm sure we'll come on to that later. But I feel my mood going, mm. and I have to do something to get out of that mood. Um, and it is, yeah. it is approximately every three weeks. But then I still carry on traveling anyway most of the time. So, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. But is that the closest that you get then to being homesick? Homesick. Just is... Homesick's a weird one because I don't really get homesick. Um, it just depends on your definition of home. I mean, there are things I miss about being at home, but apart from Greg's, mm, <laughs> most, yeah, most of those things are, you know, more like having a long term place to stop than about home itself. Like, you know, it's, yeah. it's, we're not sponsored by it's, Greg's, by the way, but if they would like to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Rolls, meat pie, sausage roll. Um, yeah, it's, it's sometimes nice to be able to stop, you know, have a base, have a decent yeah. map would be nice, but more, you know, have a place to store my stuff, to be able to just wash clothes whenever I want, to be able to just get up at 11 a.m. and not feel like you're wasting a day's holiday, you know, just to have mm. somewhere back up my pictures and videos and stuff, things like that, keep it safe while I'm elsewhere. And I get that. I get that sometimes when I'm traveling because I have friends, I have friends in places like Australia, in Belgrade and Toulouse. And I know that, you know, I can just crash there for an indeterminate time until I feel the need to move on again. And because they'll let me. Um, and I treat my home home here back in the UK kind of in a similar way or well, you know, at least I did when I wasn't working in a day job. Um, yeah. it, it's why I don't buy souvenirs. It's why, I don't have much in the way of home furnishings and why people have come to my house and said, well, it's not very homely, is it? Well, no, not very homely because I don't spend very long here. Um, I it's don't more of a my... for you. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't see my home place as a home so much as a, a place to crash when I'm not traveling. Uh, and I guess I, I see my friends' places in a similar way. I don't get homesick. Yeah. I guess you could argue what I actually get is travel fatigued. And, I, you know, mm. I, I, kind of, I need to stop. But um, another thing about homesickness is I know a part of it is a lack of familiarity. But, you know, once I've done something once, I'm OK. So yeah. if I'm somewhere that I'm that's new to me and I've been there for a while, I might stick to the same restaurant or shop because, you know, I'll know it. And it's got that familiarity. Uh, and I do that, you know, if I'm if I'm in a town for three days and there's a, that I don't know the language and there's a cafe. And I'll go to the cafe once. I'll probably go to that cafe every single day that I'm there because it's familiar and I'll know it. Um, yeah. uh, you know, there's nothing specific about the UK that I miss that I can't find proxies for elsewhere. And one of the things that you learn when you travel, certainly one of the things I've learned, is how other places work. And sometimes other places work better than back home or at least differently. Yeah. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. You just have to get used to it. Once you're used to it, it makes perfect sense. And then, you know, not being in the UK means I take less of an interest or observation in what's going on here. And there are times when that's actually quite a good thing, to be fair. Yeah. Well, um, is that one of the ways that travel sort of improves your mental health while you're at home? Um, I, I had thought maybe it might give you more confidence or decrease your anxiety, but it's one of the things that it gives you a break from the news. Yeah, I mean, because when I'm traveling, I'm not paying attention to the news. I'm not going, oh, what's going on today? What's happening today in, you know, Gloucestershire or wherever? Um, mm. And it, it allows me to, you know how some people say, for your mental health, take a break from Twitter. Um, 
it's I don't think of it in these terms, but that's kind of how I treat traveling abroad. It's like I'm taking a break from the UK because the UK sometimes annoys me immensely. Um, so yes. not being not being in that environment means I'm I know it puts me more in a bubble. Uh, and I know I'm kind of almost putting my head in the sand around it when I'm traveling. I don't worry about it. But I think that's sometimes a good thing. I just have to be yeah. aware. I mean, one of the, it's really weird, actually. One of the few things that I do do when I'm traveling is, is look at the Wikipedia recent deaths page. Um, oh, just in case you've missed someone important. <laughs> basically, yeah, someone important or someone from, you know, someone I remember from childhood going, oh, they're dead. Um, yeah, but that, that's about it, really. I, I don't I, I try not to I try not to track things like British news because it would just annoy me. Um do other stresses from at home, like personal ones, like relationship issues, money worries, that sort of thing, does that affect how you travel? Is it hard to leave that sort of thing at home? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, there's, there's a number of aspects to this, isn't there? Um, so relationship stress is an interesting one. Um, so... I have had issues where I've been traveling because of relationship issues back home, because obviously I'm traveling. I tend to travel solo. And, you know, when you're dating someone who is back home and doesn't want to travel with you or can't travel with you, that does lead to some issues sometimes. Um, mm -hmm. There have been a that couple of times. Things. Yeah, yeah. I've been concentrating too much on issues back at home with my relationships that I haven't been able to enjoy it. They haven't let me enjoy it, I guess is more the point. Um, so, for example, in Fremantle in Australia, which was already a place that I wasn't connected with for three-week cycle reasons, um, and another, a number of other issues, um, I was staying in a backpacker hostel that didn't have Wi-Fi. So I kept having to go into the town centre to pick up the free Wi-Fi with my um, tablet computer, and then chat for two hours with my then girlfriend because she was feeling very clingy and angsty about the fact that I was away and I didn't love her and stuff like that. Um, obviously, that was in the days before I realised my sexuality. Um, <laughs> and I think one of the I was going to say that, that must have been quite um, difficult for you to relate to as like an asexual person who is like at least a romantic adjacent, <laughs> I suppose. Um, it must have been quite difficult for you to be able to empathise with her insecurity in that respect. Indeed, I don't. I don't have relationships in those terms. So I can't necessarily relate to them in that respect. So basically, don't date me. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, we had the issues like, you know, oh, I noticed you were on Facebook last night, but you didn't message me. You know, I'm, I'm somewhere new and I'm out of my depths. And it was literally only two days ago that we snogged. Give me some time to have a feel about what I'm doing, you know? And I know that. <laughs> I know that sounds kind of harsh, but that's that's. Well, it must also be quite difficult to be able to reassure somebody from a distance in that way as well. Like when you're not there face to face, and you can't just give somebody a hug and say, "I love you best. It's fine." Um, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but I don't. I'm not very romantic in that respect, so mm -hmm. I'm just very platonic. So I don't visualize the difference and that really annoys people yes um, but because and, and that's part of another issue because i don't have those same feelings as everybody else it means that i can't placate them and i can't say the right things and that just irks me further because it feels like i'm being completely useless and twelve thousand miles away yes yeah so um, i sometimes feel i have to you know spend more of my time with them and then less of my time traveling, which obviously means that I'm angsting about the fact that I'm not doing things that I should be doing because yeah. I'm 12,000 miles feeling like you're wasting time again because, yeah. Yes. yes. You should be doing things that you can only do there. Yes. My, uh, my main issue, though, is money um, because I have really bad issues with money from time to time. Um, I was reading one of your blog posts yesterday, actually, about how you couldn't get any ATMs to work while you were in, I think it was Cambodia. And you were yeah. thinking, I've probably got enough money, but I'd feel more comfortable if I had access to all of my money. 
Uh, yes. Yeah, very much so. Um, yeah, there's, there's two aspects to this. It, it's do I have enough money on me to do X? And do I have enough money in my bank account to do X? Uh, yeah. And they're, both, they're kind of very similar because it means that I'm going through the day going, hang on a minute, can I afford to do this? Um, and it, it manifests itself in, in many ways. So, for example, one of the ways was in, in Laos. Um, where I basically had an internal argument with myself about, do I buy this milkshake or not? It's an extra 12,000 kip. The fact that there were 12,000 kip to the pound means that <laughs> I was arguing about whether I should buy one pound more on my lunch for a milkshake. In the event, I didn't because I thought that was too extravagant. And there have been other places where I've just not been to like, you know, museums and such like, because just, being in the vicinity was good enough for me and I didn't want to spend an extra, you know, five pound or 10 pound or whatever to go around somewhere. Uh, I have this do very strange. Find, do you find that um, you are less willing to spend an extra pound somewhere where that goes further than you would be here? Like, are you more of a penny pinch you're traveling than you are at home is what I'm asking. <laughs> I've never thought of that. Um, because you probably I, wouldn't think twice about spending a pound on a milkshake in a restaurant here. I probably wouldn't, um, to be fair. But equally, here, I am currently keeping track of everything that I spend with receipts. So I'm plotting how much I'm spending on a daily basis. And it's irking me. And it's, it's, it's bad for my mental health to do this. But equally, it's better than not having any visibility at all and then running out of money, which has happened on one occasion. So, yes. yes. Um, have you ever had to just ditch a trip because you just weren't feeling it and yes. like how does that make <laughs> you feel did you do you then return to that place later or is it just like on the failure list and we're never going there again <laughs> no it, it's happened a few times um there's two aspects to this there's either um places that i will leave because i'm feeling angsty and the act of going somewhere new perks me up and there's places where I'm feeling so low that the only thing I can do is just end the trip. Um, now, it must be said that in almost no occasions is that anything to do with the place that I'm in. So yeah. sometimes I'll, I'll either be going into the place in the first place feeling a bit less than optimal or, you know, something happens in that place that makes me crash. But it's very rarely because of that place. It's more ways, almost always exclusively because either of the way I'm thinking, the way I'm feeling, or because something else externally has happened, which might well be, you know, monetary, it might well be relationship, it might well be, you know, anything else. Um, mm. So I do feel, though, that the sheer act of moving somewhere else, regardless of where it is or how I do it, does perk me up. And it's happened yeah. a few times. So um, for reasons unrelated to the city, uh, I was feeling very anxious and stressed in Minsk, in Belarus, um, which is an interesting place. Um, but as soon as I stepped off the train in Vilnius, which is, you know, just two and a half hours north, I felt really joyous and chilled, despite the fact that it was raining. Um, so do you think it was that, the physical act of moving that just, you know, spent some adrenaline and made you feel better? Yes, it was. It was. I mean, it, it may be ADHD related. It may be the whole somewhere new, somewhere shiny, somewhere interesting, somewhere, you know, I've never been here before. This is fantastic. It's somewhere different. Mm -hmm. um, and I had the same in, in Fremantle in Australia um, when I was having those relationship issues. Um, and I was feeling kind of, I think the word is lonely, but I'm not sure that's the right word. It's kind of like, you know, because I'm an introvert and I was surrounded by all these party, party people, and I didn't have any space to retreat to because there was no Wi-Fi. So I was kind of out of my comfort zone and it was also out of season. So, you know, people had told me that Fremantle had a bit of a vibe, but it wasn't vibing when I was there because it was the middle of winter. Um, yeah. But the moment that I, you know, I got the train to Adelaide, 41 hours or something. But the moment I got off the train in Adelaide, like seven o'clock in the morning, uh, I was again, I could just feel everything was just uplifted and I felt pleasant and bouncy and happy again. Um and, and, that, and that's strange because lots of people are curious about whether Adelaide is actually boring. I know it's 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 <laughs> one of my most popular blog posts. Um, it, it's one of those places that Australians kind of dismiss. 
I think yeah. it's because we don't know a lot about it. Um, but I really liked my time in Adelaide. I thought it was a great place. You work um, on the basis that everywhere is interesting, don't you? So you can always find yeah. something interesting Absolutely. somewhere. Absolutely. Um, and Fremantle itself is interesting. And you asked about whether I'd go back to a place. And I have been back to Fremantle. I've got a couple yeah. of internet friends in the area. And I always knew that I'd go back. I just needed some space to do it. And I needed some and an improvement in, I, I just needed, it just needed to be a different time. Uh, I've had this, I've had this before as well, um, a couple of times. So, I mean, I've never been back to Minsk, but I probably will at some point. Uh, well, not right now. Um, Maybe not right now, yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, um, it's like Indonesia, um, um, I, <sighs> so, um, back in 2014, I took a year traveling around the world, but it wasn't actually a year traveling around the world because I came back a few times because of issues. One of the issues was because I broke a, a bone in my foot in, in, in Uzbekistan, so I thought it was better if I did come back. Um, yeah. But we talked about that last time. But uh, Indonesia, I was in Indonesia for four nights, and I was in a small town called Padang Bai, which was the most chilled place in the universe. It was great. It was it was calm. It was relaxing. It was exactly what you need after, a, you know, um, backpacking around Australia and Timor-Leste for a bit. Um, but, but I only spent four days there and then I came home. And the reason I came home was because I was having so much angst about relationships and about money that I just thought it would be better to just go back and reset myself. Yeah. Um, and that was the only way I could do it, because if I traveled onwards to other places, I would still be having those issues. And yeah. going to another town, going to another country even, would not have resolved those issues in my head. So I had to go back and that was the only way I could find to mentally uh, revive myself, which is a shame because I really liked being in Indonesia. And there's so much in that country that I want to go back to and see. Um, another, another example is Ethiopia at the end of that year. And this was almost entirely money based because I didn't have any. Uh, and I had to basically borrow some money off my uncle to get back. Um, it was it's very much one of those right place, wrong time moments um, where I flew in already having had some admin issues that I was that were irking me. So I couldn't even do what I wanted to do properly in Ethiopia. Um, yeah. But I'd already booked the flight and I couldn't change the flight to go somewhere else. So I ended up going and. Uh, my arrival in Ethiopia was um, was fine, except that my taxi driver couldn't find my hotel. <laughs> so uh, I ended up finding a place that was this really dodgy place by the airport where they offered free condoms underneath the pillow. Um, <laughs> and I just didn't I didn't click with Addis Ababa at all. I just didn't click with the place. I didn't click with the people. I didn't click with the environment because I was already mentally drained from my arrival mm -hmm. and because I my plans had gone awry and because I didn't have any money so I ended up just coming back home after I'd done everything I wanted to see there because I uh, I just couldn't face doing anything else but that's not a problem mm -hmm. with Ethiopia and I fully intend to go back there because there is plenty of stuff there that I want to do again probably not right now because there are some <laughs> they are having a bit of a, a little bit of another civil war up in the north um but yes uh, I do intend to go back, as I say, right place, wrong time. So, um, yeah. yeah. Um, we mentioned um, just briefly there that obviously part of your travel ethos is that everywhere is interesting. Right? Yeah. There must be times, though, when you're on a long trip and you are bored, like if you're stuck on a bus <laughs> for eight hours or whatever. So how do you alleviate that? Um, I've read some of your bus journey posts recently, and I think that I would really struggle with, um, claustrophobia being on one of those small buses with lots and lots of people for a really long time and not really knowing how long it will be for yeah have you ever felt sort of panicked in a situation that you can't remove yourself from like that or like just really deeply bored there's the yeah there's there's two aspects to this um I mean in terms of how I relieve my boredom I would love to say that you know, I use my e-reader or books or I take my notebook and pen and write or, you know, I make notes about past and future travel plans or write stories and poems or listen to podcasts. Um, occasionally I do. But most of the time is I look out the window at the scenery. 
I mean, that's probably quite good for you if you struggle to rest, because at least you're physically relaxed a bit. Yes, but I'm not mentally relaxed because I can't sleep on. Basically, the only thing I can sleep on is trains. And even then, it's like unless it's got a bed in it, you know, like one of those sleeper carriages, then I have Mm. difficulty. I just can't sleep. I certainly can't sleep on airplanes. Um, So in the dark, I will be looking out the window, even, you know, going through Ohio. I'll be looking out the window, even go through even going through Ohio in the dark. I'll be looking out the window is that. (laughs) Uh, I, I, I kind of have this weird fear of missing out on stuff uh, in that sense. So places that I'll, I'll never go through again. So even if those places are like, you know, three farm buildings in a cornfield, I still want to see the fact that it's three farm buildings in a cornfield. Um, I, I, boredom is a, is a strange one. I don't know if I actually get bored in that sense. Um, I mean, I do. I get bored. But often that boredom is more frustration. Yeah. And frustration is led by things like timetables. So, you mm. know, if a bus is due to leave at 12.55 p.m. and it's 1 p.m. and so it's five minutes late, I'll get really irked. But if that bus is due to leave at some point in the afternoon and it's 12.55 p.m., then I'll, I'll just happily wander around, read a book, you know, whatever. Uh, and it won't so mind. If you, if you don't know, you find it easier to sort of relax into it will happen yeah. when it happens. Yeah. As, yeah. <laughs> There, there are situations where that doesn't apply, but again, it's timetable related. So I was in Uzbekistan and I was taking a bus from, I believe it was Nukus to Bukhara. So quite a long bus journey over the desert. Mm. And I thought the bus was going to leave at 11 in the morning and it left at two. And I thought the bus was going to take eight hours because that's what it, to- that's what it, that's what all the information told me it was going to do. It's going to take eight hours. It took, uh, about 16, including an overnight stop in a basically a cafe um, where we just lay down and slept and what have you. And I didn't know this before we started. Had I have known that was going to be the case before we started, I would have really enjoyed that journey because it would have been fun and it would have been interesting. But because I didn't know that, I was getting really angsty about the fact that we hadn't left yet or the fact that we we're going really slowly or the fact that we're still miles away and we, you know, we weren't going to get there in time and what have you. And, and that irked me. But if I'd have known that in advance, then it would have been fine. And yeah. did you find it easy enough to sleep on the cafe floor then compared to sleeping on a bus? I didn't try, to be honest, because I was too, <laughs> I was at that point, I was too mentally awake and anxious. Yeah. I just didn't bother. Um, so when I reached, the, <laughs> there were other issues with that bus journey, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. I ended up not being i tried to doze on the bus and we went through bukhara and we ended up halfway to samarkand so i ended up being uh having to leave the bus at a toll booth and then having the local guards at the toll booth arrange for a um a lorry to pick me up and take me back to bukhara um <laughs> it was an interesting bus interesting journey um and friday the 13th and um i got to bukhara about eight o'clock in the morning and the first thing i did was go to my go to the hostel that i booked and just slept for three hours. Um, you probably needed it after that. That sounds exhausting. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, so, yeah, that that wasn't a particularly pleasant experience. I mean, it's great in hindsight. Uh, it, it, it's a good story to dine out on. Um, but at the time, it was it was no. Um, whereas in West Africa, um, because there are no timetables, it's just kind of like you just go when you go. So it, it, I could enjoy the journey. The only time I got a little bit angsty was because I didn't, the, the, the journey was taking longer than I expected, but that's because it was going through town that's stuff. frustrating. Yes. But in essence, it was still, one of the things that I liked about West Africa was the feeling that, you know, it doesn't matter. You'll just, you will get there. You will get there in the end. Um, and one of the things I have to do is trust the locals because, they do this journey all the time so they know the score so as long as they're not stressing about it then it's fine for me because i know that it will that we will get there um the other thing is that often when i'm certainly when i'm traveling in britain uh is that i have to know where i am at all times it's a control thing Uh, i have to be in control of what my senses are telling me so i have to know what time that it is be quite difficult in some places yes it is um i have to do the best that i can but if there are no signposts i have to i, I get a little bit irked sometimes which is why i just need to chill a bit more um you could infer that the logical conclusion to this 
is that I, you know, should be blindfolded and tied up in the back of the boot of a car. This does not happen very often, I'd like to point out. You should be so lucky. Well, yes. I did a blog post on that. Okay, and we are going to be finishing fairly soon, so I wanted to wrap up on a positive note, because there are a few things that are not very positive that we spoke about today. Um, So from all of your travel, um, you must have got some idea of ways that you would recommend people look after their mental health when they're on a long trip. What works best for you in that respect? I'm going to honestly say I've never really thought about it. Um, what's the best way to maintain my mental health? Um, I mean, for me, because of my ADHD, the best way I can maintain my mental health is by changing my environment quite regularly. Um, and I, I did a recent podcast about why I didn't connect with slow travel, because I can't stay that long in any given one place. Um, so for me, moving on, taking in new senses, new environments, new foods, um, new scenery, new cultures. That's what works for me for my mental health. So I'm always shaking it up. I'm always, I'm never letting myself get angsty or, or, you know, bored is an interesting word. Um, If I spend too long in the place itself bores me. So I have to keep mixing it up. Um, So if you can feel that sump looming over you, change something, whether that's your environment or what you're doing that day or whatever. Yes. to keep things fresh there, there, yes very much so uh one other thing that helps my mental state is being barefoot actually. yeah you have actually spoken about that one um mm. briefly i think on our very first spaces maybe almost um, certainly. yeah and i think mm. not on our next space but one maybe the one after possibly the one after that we're going to do a whole space about barefoot life. Okay. That's, I think. that's news to me. That's fine. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. I think that our, our next space um, will probably be following on from this one again. So we'll talk about um, personal safety when you're traveling, which might be an interesting one for you to travel about. Hashtag not a role model. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but again, some of, the, some of those things... Um, sort of lead into what we were talking about about physical health last week uh, uh, no the week before last and mental health this time and so I think that that'll be quite a good one to follow on from this one be all about your yes. personal safety yes I think that works because yeah that's phenomenal um cool is there anything else that I do to maintain my mental health? um I have to say I take a notebook and pen with me a lot um because I like I like to write things down, even if that writing things down is just doodling. I, I like to be doing something. So is that because you feel self-conscious in a public space when you're not doing? Possibly. I, I, I personally think it's more to do with the ADHD thing. Is that I have to be doing something with my hands. Mm. I have to be doing something with my brain. Um, yeah. And looking out of a window is doing something with my brain. Um, but yeah. Um, I don't get that self-conscious about being in a public space on my own as long as I don't have to interact. Yeah. So uh, it's not like wearing earphones in public, having a notebook and a pen in front of you is kind of a, a big don't talk to me sign. I mean, yes. But I mean, <laughs> having earphones in public is an interesting one because, you know, I got <laughs> where we started this entire Twitter space was talking about, you know, um, dyspraxia and ADHD and, and what have you. And I basically go through life with earphones in my head without the physically being earphones in my head. I pay no attention to what's going on at all. Th- there was a time I was in Sheffield where I lived at the time and I was jogging. I was running past what? my local shop. Oh, you were jogging. jogging. I really must have heard that. What did you think I said? I thought you said you were dogging. <laughs> I thought that's very out of character. <laughs> That, that, that is something very different. No, I was I was jogging, uh, running um, past a shop, and one of my Twitter friends was coming out the shop and called to me apparently, and called to me three times. I I didn't even see her, didn't hear her, despite the fact that she was about two meters away from me. I mean, when I'm running, I'm very tunnel vision in that respect too. And the shopkeeper told me that he spoke to me when I was running, and I hadn't even seen that he was there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I was focusing on trying to breathe. <laughs> so, in general, then, um, maintain your mental health by not pushing yourself too hard, knowing when your limits are so that you can take a break and changing things up in your scenery. Yeah? Yes. Yes. Um, I think that is all of my questions today, which has come on to just about an hour again. So it's worked quite nicely. We're getting quite good at working out how many questions to do to fit our little time slot. Um, yes, our next spaces will be all about travel and personal safety, like I said. So we'll be talking about everything from not flashing your money in public spaces to hooking up in when you're traveling, all, all of that sort of business we'll be covering on that. Um, I did say this when we ended the last space a second ago, but um, I will go through it again. If you do want to find out more about Barefoot Backpackers, travels and adventures, both with travel, but also with exploring gender identity, sexuality, pride flags, dyspraxia, ADHD, all of those sorts of things, um, their website is um, barefoot-backpacker.com. Um, and you can also follow them on Twitter and Pinterest at RTW Barefoot and on Instagram as Barefoot underscore Backpacker. Um, and on their website, you can also find the Travel Tales pod, but that is also available on whatever you usually use to listen to your podcasts. If it isn't on whatever you use to listen to your podcast normally, poke me or Barefoot Backpacker and we will sort it out so that it is. Yep. Sounds like a good plan. It should be everywhere. Um, I believe it's everywhere. I've tried to put it on everywhere. But if it's not, let me know. Right. I still don't know how to end spaces. I feel like I end them like phone calls and be like, bye, bye, take care, have a good day. Um, but I don't know how else to end them. Uh, we can end them just by this. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, don't forget to leave a review on your podcast site of choice. Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure was written, presented, edited and produced in the Glasgow studio by the Barefoot Backpacker. Music in this episode was Walking Barefoot on Grass, Bonus by Kai Engel, which is available by the Free Music Archive and used under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International Licence. Previous episodes will be available on your podcast service of choice, or alternatively on my website, barefoot-backpacker.com. If you want to contact me, I live on Twitter at rtwbarefoot, or you can email me at info at barefoot-backpacker.com. The podcast has a Facebook group at travel.tales.beyond.brochure, and I have a Patreon for access to rare extra content. That's patreon.com slash traveltalesbeyondbrochurepod. Until next time, have safe journeys. Bye for now.